Inspired by IMDb and Sight and Sound, Return of the Disc presents the Top 250 Movies List, a miniseries. Okay, welcome back to the Top 250, Episode 8 on our list. Continuation here, heading into the Top 75 films. Mm-hmm. And as always, I'm joined with Tom. Joined by Tom. Thank you. Um, Hello. We're joined together at this moment for an episode eight. Uh, two more episodes, and we'll have completed our list. But uh, we are here to present the next 25 on each of our lists, starting with 75. So, Tom, I will let you begin if you'd like. Okay. Sure. Why not? My box is really big because I did several twofers in here, and also I have some box sets. We're getting into some epic stuff here, it sounds like. Yeah. So my number 75 is A Nightmare on Elm Street, 1984. Um, One, two, Freddy's coming for you. Dream demon pedophile murderer Freddy Krueger is stalking the dreams of the teenagers of Elm Street and killing them. Robert Englund's first performance as Kruger is chilling. Wes Craven's writing and direction is just great. A well-made haunted house thrill ride. So yeah, uh, good good first movie. It is. Solid. Um, number 74 is a threefer. It is A Hard Day's Night, Help, and Get Back. Um, wow throwing in a documentary i know right it's like an eight hour documentary too it's like long as shit but it's so fun you're just kind of chilling with the beatles uh, <laughs> the beatles uh films are just great a hard day's night parodies the beatles life on tour help is a fanciful farce of diamond rings and human sacrifice Get Back is a masterful documentary edited from the footage of Let It Be by peter jackson and company the three share the charm joys and growing and growing growing up of the Beatles. Um, so, yeah, I mean, like, I, these two are both by Richard Lester um, and are essentially, like, fictional narratives. Um, but they're just both really fun. These ones were made in the 60s, in the mid-60s. Um, this one was shot in the late 60s, and we didn't really... You couldn't really watch Let It Be for a long time, and you still really can't. But um, Get Back, it sounds like, is a more truthful portrait of what was going on. Um, and some of the footage, I can't even believe we have it. Like right. uh, the the audio recording where George hasn't come in today and Paul and John talk about the breakup of the Beatles and like their relationship as a band is just like like when they when they cut to that scene and they only have audio so they put like um they they had hidden the microphone in a plant um when they when they cut to that i was like i can't even believe we have this footage like i can't even believe this is here and we're listening to it right now um but it's for me like these i think um these two films kind of show like the beatles in the early days having fun and like really enjoying themselves and then this one shows the Beatles kind of saying, okay, I think it's time to move on. And yeah. uh, we had a good run. And it, it's a very bittersweet film. But together they kind of show the story of the Beatles. Um, I would also add that Get Back also gives a great insight look of the artistic process. And just, you know, they, they, had, they made all this great music 
mm-hmm. under a deadline. Oh yeah, and just a quick turnaround, and you can see how they d- different personalities, collaboration. You see it all in this, and a lot of it. Some of those tracks went on to do being Abbey Road, I believe, right? Abbey Road and Let It Be, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's funny too because like um, they'll struggle forever on like a Paul song. And then George just comes in with one of his finished and they do it in one take. Right. And it's perfect. And that's the one that's on the album. And you're just like, you realize George is ready to be solo, the lead of his own band. Mm-hmm. Um, also, I really like it because it kind of dispels the myth that Yoko was a huge factor in them breaking up because yes, she is there, but she's just quietly knitting in the corner most of the time. Like, if yeah. you're not looking at the screen, you might not even realize that she's there. And there was a lot of racism against her that was like blaming and sexism that was blaming her for the breakup of the band. And like, that's just not true. I mean, like, maybe you could argue that she and John kind of talked about where he was at. And like, he realized that this wasn't the best solution for him anymore. But that's kind of stretching it, right? Like I feel like that's stretching it by saying Yoko is at fault. Um, but yeah. So anyway, and, you I know. Love- and one more thing: the the yeah. when Billy Preston shows up, it kind of saves the whole yes. session. Oh yeah, yeah. It was like it gives it new life. I was like, holy crap, this is awesome. There's there's so many like little moments where like there's such joy in this final session. I mean, like there's a lot of it that's like it seems like it's kind of a slog. But then, like, every so often, it's like, oh, okay, like, this is what it was like before. This is what it was like all the time, mm-hmm. usually. And that, and it, and that's changing. And that's why they're ending. Um, so, yeah, uh, absolutely. Like, these three, I love them. Um, these are more traditional narratives, obviously. And then this one is just kind of cobbled together from raw footage. But all three are beautiful watches. Really t- shows you the uh, story of... Uh, you know essentially uh, four young guys working together and all the people who are around them and helping them do it well done (laughs) Uh, number 73 is also a prefer (laughs) so it is alien aliens and alien three the producers cut um, first, Ridley Scott, Loose and Alien, and designed by Geiger aboard a space truck, and Sigourney Weaver shot it out of the airlock. Then James Cameron got Weaver and, com- and a group of Marines in the suits with hundreds of aliens. Both are excellent films, although very different. Both are near perfect. Alien 3 is only watchable in the producer's cut. Theatrical is terrible. I think it wraps up Ripley's arc nicely, if a- on a darker note. Undoing the happy ending of Aliens in its opening scene. Well done, but for but far from perfect. I still enjoy the film as as a trilogy. Um, I I recently rewatched all three of them together because I was trying to go back and forth between whether I wanted to include Alien Aliens, which was the safe choice, or Alien Aliens and Alien Three. Um, and I really like Alien Three. Like, um, it's interesting because uh, Ripley in the first movie, um is the only one who says, hey, maybe we shouldn't let the (laughs) guy into the ship with the thing. Um, And the second one, she's essentially outguns the soldiers. Like, she knows 
what she's dealing with and she becomes a soldier herself. And in the third movie, she has to sacrifice herself, um, which is, you know, like one of the things that sold is asked of soldiers. Um, so I think those three together are really interesting. Like look at her character. Uh, the fourth one is a clone. So like, I don't, it's not even the same character really. I mean, like I know she's in it, but I don't consider it as part of her arc because it's not the same character like literally canonically it's not the same person yeah um so yeah that's why i nice. chose those three um i'm gonna try and move faster with these other you fine <laughs> uh number 72 is schindler's list steven spielberg tackles the holocaust liam neeson plays oscar schindler a nazi war profiteer who ended up giving up all the money to save over 6,000 Jewish people from concentration camps and certain death. A powerful film, a heart-wrenching film about anti-fascism, incredible performances all around. Um, really good movie. Uh, me and Vinny tend to watch it once a year, just randomly. Uh, very, very sad. I've never but... seen it. Oh, really? Um, yeah. It's, it's dark. I mean, yeah. I don't know if it has the same like gut punch as something like some of the scenes in the pianist um, or like other Holocaust movies, it. but as a, um, as a whole, I kind of prefer this one because it shows a lot. Instead of focusing on like one person, you get to see a whole situation of like what's going on. Like they go through the true stories of a large group of Jewish people who um, were protected by Schindler and then um, Schindler and his circle are all got presentation and you get to see um, Ray Fiennes plays Amon Goth, who is uh, one of the worst um, like camp operators in, in the Holocaust and who was uh, executed at Nuremberg. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a really well done film. Uh, absolutely love it. He made it in the same year as Jurassic Park, which is kind of insane. Um, uh, number 71 is Mulan, 1998. My favorite of the Disney Renaissance films, Mulan tells the story of a woman who impersonates a man to stop her father going to war. I love the colors. I love the songs. I love the villain, Sean Yu. I love the climax and the mountain battle. Um, just rewatched this last night, actually, because Vinny told me he hadn't seen it. So when I came back from War and Peace, we watched it. And... Um, I gotta say, like, it flows really well. Like, I was taken with the pacing on the film. Um, there's really not a dull moment. And um, the way they have cut it together where it goes from, like, there's a moment where um, they're singing a very silly song, and then suddenly they cut to, like, they find a destroyed village, and then the army that they were coming to back up, they find all of them dead, and Sean, uh, Shang's father was among them. Um, so like that's yeah. pretty brilliant for a kid's movie. Um, anyway, yeah. You can't go wrong with Donny Osmond singing. I know. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like now I'm like, they probably wouldn't do that because like they, the argument has been made that like, you know, having a white actor play a character of color in a cartoon is essentially a, dif a different form of black or brown face. And I'm like, Oh, in this case, yellow face. And I'm like, yeah, that argument is true. Um, but the film exists, and I I really um, I really connected with it when I was growing up. So yeah, yeah. Um, 
Number 70, the Grand Budapest Hotel. Wes Anderson brings us to a whimsical... Po- oh, wait. Getting ahead of yourself. I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm going to put that one back. You just gave us like 12 movies to watch. All right. I know, I did. Uh, <laughs> my 75 is Raging Bull. Martin Scorsese's yeah. Raging Bull. I picked up this uh, Criterion Edition. It's one of those okay. movies that... Uh, Really got better with age as well. Um, Jake LaMotta was a very interesting person, to say the least. Oh, God. <laughs> this movie tackles, uh, and Scorsese fashion, he loves these like anti-hero, dark mm-hmm. figures, controversial figures. And this really tackles you know, the toxic masculinity of a fighter and, and a, just an overall person who wants to be like a celebrity, wants to be relevant. And De Niro gained like a ton of weight for this movie and lost, you know, obviously was in great shape for the uh, boxing stuff, but just a unique biopic. Oh, yeah. That movie really disturbed me the first time I watched it. Yeah, it's kind of a horror movie. Yeah. Very good, though. Number 74 is one that I rediscovered. Saw it in theaters, but I rediscovered it during COVID. Knocked up. Really enjoyed this film on a rewatch, and it really stuck with me. Just the whole like taking responsibility for your actions. Obviously, it's a comedy, but you know Seth Rogen gets uh, his girlfriend or one night one night has a one night stand, gets her pregnant, and learns to become more responsible with his life. And it's just it's a heartwarming story. Just pretty much an easy watch, but I really found it very really comforting. Oh, yeah. Next one is 73. Another epic classic. Lawrence of Arabia. Mm. This movie, uh, I hadn't seen it for in, in you know most of my life. I hadn't gone without seeing it. Bought this 4K. I was going to wait to see this in theaters. But everybody was like, that. well, you need to watch it. I was like, okay, this 4K is coming out. It's probably the best version I'm going to get. And, man, it didn't disappoint. I still want to see it in theaters, but it's it's an epic, grand-scale journey. Um, and the, int- the beginning really surprised me, just the way that it was structured. And I was just like, mm-hmm. okay, this is different. And they really don't make movies like this anymore. And I don't like saying that, but it just, it just felt different. felt more of like a timeless classic mm-hmm. 72 ladybird Greta oh. gerwig's uh directorial debut about a uh, catholic school daughter mother daughter story where they have they meet at odd ends and she wants to go ladybird wants to go off to college and live her life and it's just a a funny, hilarious, and up and coming. You know, uh, she, we get to see this girl grow up, and mm-hmm. particularly like this the stuff with Timothy Chalamet, where she meets the bad boy in a band, and and she loses her virginity to him, and then you have her best friend, and he's dealing with his his uh, insecurities about coming out as gay. And it's just there's some amazing scenes in this, and the writing is so well done from Greta Gerwig that she pulls it off. 
I love her. Can't wait for Barbie. Yeah, I'm excited about Barbie too, but I don't know, man. It's just I hope it's good. I really I haven't watched any of the trailers, so I, okay. I, I don't know. Okay. That that might be part of it. <laughs> I'm just like Greta Gerwin got a lot of money. I anyway, yeah, same here. Got me. I mean, they sold me right away. I want to see her next movie. I loved her first two movies. So it's, yeah. yeah, I'm in. 71, John Favreau's Chef. John Favreau took a break from the MCU, wrote this little independent film, basically hired all his her his buddies to star in it, and uh, thought this guy who father who has trouble bonding with the son and he loses, he uh, becomes critical of food critics. He's, he's a famous chef in LA decides to start a food truck and really rediscovers his love for food and family. Oh yeah. So that was my first five. Yeah. You went through it so fast in comparison to me. (laughs) Well, the thing is you buddied up movies, which is fine. Yes, no, that's true. Uh, it's okay. well, yeah, I pretty much told you before we did it. I'm like, I'm gonna cheat. I don't care. <laughs> I know. Yeah, we established episode one that we had different <laughs> uh, criteria for our list, which is totally cool. Okay, uh, so number seventy is the Grand Budapest Hotel. A shocker, I know. You would have no idea. Um, <laughs> Wes Anderson brings us to a whimsical pre-war hotel, uh, run by. I was like, what is that word? Uh, <laughs> run by Ray Fiennes, who gets wrapped up in a struggle for a valuable painting when it is left to him by one of the wealthy old patrons he was boning. Uh, I love the look and feel of the film and how zany it is. I want to eat one of the uh, pastries. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, number 69 is Malcolm X. Spike Lee brings us a brilliant biopic. I know, I thought of that as I was saying it, and I was like, that was completely unintentional. It's just, I just love this movie, and I wanted it in this thought. Uh, (laughs) Spike Lee brings us a brilliant biopic on civil rights leader Malcolm X. Denzel Washington's practically morphs into the role, portraying Malcolm from straight thug to martyr. A fantastic, fantastic film. I put fantastic twice. Thank you. Awesome. Okay. Uh, number 68. I told you the Hitchcock collection was going to come back out in this one. Here it is. Um, number 68. Where are you? There we are. Number 68 is Rear Window. Jimmy Stewart has broken his leg and can't leave his apartment that looks out onto a courtyard. While spying on the neighbors, he begins to suspect one of them of murder, an Alfred Hitchcock masterpiece. Awesome. And then that will come back out, uh, I think, one more time on this list. Um, Number 67, Double Indemnity, Billy Wilder directs, Raymond Chandler wrote... The script, based on the James M. Cain novel about uh, an insurance man and a wife deciding to murder her husband, the ultimate film noir. Number 66, then, is 
Alice in Wonderland, 1951, the animated Disney film follows Alice down the rabbit hole to Wonderland. Among talking flowers, a white rabbit who's late for a very important date, a grinning Cheshire cat, and a mad hatter. Such a charming, beautiful film. So, yeah, back to you. All right. My number 70 is a Halloween classic, The Nightmare Before Christmas. No, it's not directed by Tim Burton. It's directed by Henry Selleck. Yeah. And produced by Tim Burton. Um, But yeah, this this movie, a great deal of my childhood. I was Jack the Skellington for Halloween one year. And um, just a timeless stop motion classic that I really enjoy. And I had the soundtrack down to a T. I could act it out now. It'll take about an hour. So let's begin. (laughs) <laughs> i'm just kidding but uh no i mean i i uh love the film mm-hmm. great uh it's kind of a coming of age you know jack is really wanting to be something he's not yeah and it's really with the core of the story which i think is a great message all right number 69 the title lives up to the number that is swingers <laughs> and this is not what you think it is, though. They're not uh, swinging as in sharing or having orgies and, and stuff, but they are into swing music. <laughs> and uh, so the script is wrote by John Favreau, and he stars in the movie with Vince Vaughn that kind of launched Vince Vaughn, which he would got him the role in Jurassic Park, The Lost World. And um, Swingers is a great buddy film. Guys want to break into Hollywood and they can't seem to find a break, but they love to go to these clubs that were really popular in the 90s that that was really brought back. It was kind of a resurgence in swing music. So they go to these clubs and hang out there and then they try to talk to women and stuff like that. So it's a nice little slice of life uh, dreamer story, but ironic ending. I love this. I mean, Swingers is great. I love it. <laughs> love it. Love it. All right. Uh, number 68. Another classic, George R. Romero's Night, Night of the Living Dead. Just an all-around amazing film, really. I mean, you, when you think about the the whole core of it and having the balls to have like a African-American lead, it's just for, for the time when it came out in the 60s, it's just a ballsy move by Romero and really low budget and really made him a star director and he would go on to do the rest of the zombie flicks and, and just become this horror icon. And it all started with this film. Also having a black lead as the main character changes the social context yeah. of the ending. Exactly. Uh, which is great. Yeah, it's really a moving ending. Mm-hmm. Uh, 67, Damien Chazelle's Whiplash. Mm-hmm. Great, one of the best edited films I've ever seen the way that it's choreographed with music and jazz tie in JK Simmons, who is a hard nosed teacher, basically a drill sergeant <laughs> takes in miles teller. Who's an eager drummer wants to be like the best of the best at the school. And the two of miles teller and JK Simmons go at it throughout the whole film. And it's a power dynamic that has a nice, satisfying ending that I think is unique because 
Whiplash just ends on this high, and, and it cuts to like the credits. And I was like, "Whoa, this is awesome!" This is so it just kind of listen to the name. I mean, not only is there a Whiplash car wreck, but I mean, just the way that it ends is just like I feel like I had Whiplash watching it. So, mm. and it's one that I didn't care for when it came out originally. I thought it was okay, and then again, it's grown. It's grown, grown the one that I like, and it's not a very long film, but it's very powerful. Mm-hmm. And 66, They Live, John Carpenter, mm-hmm. They Live, more social commentary, uh, consumerism. Um, Roddy Roddy Piper is amazing in this, and he fights. Oh gosh, what's the guy's name? Uh, Keith Lee. Keith David, sorry, Keith David. Roddy Piper and Keith David fight for like seven minutes in the alley. And that is just, it just keeps going on and on. And it's, it doesn't, shouldn't work, but it does. It's just so good that John Carpenter kept that in there. Um, basically, there's this like alien race that's taking over, and Roddy Piper can, can find these glasses or he can read the actual images and see the aliens that are populating the the world and it's just a really awesome sci-fi film fixed in with some action and horror i just really enjoyed it yeah then i end every sentence with i really enjoyed it (laughs) well i would hope so that's true it's here on the list top 100 cool so that was your 66 yep okay cool um my 65 is the groove tube just a brilliant sketch comedy film parrying television in all its forms every sketch is fire this movie makes me laugh like an idiot every single time ken shapiro's classic midnight comedy very underrated was really hard to find for a long time yeah i think Um, you showed it on youtube yeah i showed it to you on youtube and then finally they put out the blu-ray um so at some point I should show you the Blu-ray so you can actually see the movie because oh my god, the YouTube the YouTube yeah. quality was terrible. But um but yeah. Um number sixty-four then is uh definitely in the same vein. Uh Citizen Kane. <laughs> also on YouTube. It, yeah, it really tickled me to put these two movies right next to each other. Um <laughs> Orson Welles' debut feature sees him betraying Kane based upon newspaper mogul William Randolph Hearst, innovative and masterfully directed. This one took me several viewings, but now I love it. And yeah, it's a really well done movie. This one's heavy. This one's heavy. I, I know. It is. I, it's, it's also bigger than the other. So like, it's like, as an yeah. ego, it fits. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Uh, number 63, Blood and Black Lace, Mario Very Baba's big. thriller about a group of runway models being picked off by a masked killer. Love the giallo colors. The kills are brutal. Love the Italian settings and the melodramatic tone. So, I love this movie. Really fun. Great My favorite, uh, Mario Baba. Number 62, is The Exorcist, 1973. William Friedkin brings the William Peter Blatty novel to the screen. 
a young girl becomes possessed and must be subjected to an exorcism, startling in how realistically it is presented, a visionary tour de force. It was also Best Picture nomination, I believe. Yeah, I, b- I believe you're right. And then 61. Number 61 is Boogie Nights. Paul Thomas Anderson presents a portrait of the porn industry in the 70s. Mark Wahlberg plays a porn star with a big cock and leads an ensemble cast. A well-made, well-acted movie. Well done. Well, yeah, you got to mention that Mark Wahlberg has a big cock (laughs) in the movie. Right. Yeah. Um, Great movie. One of the better PTA Anderson movies. Oh yeah, definitely. Like it's my favorite, um, uh, the highest rated one on this list. Um, but Boogie Nights, There Will Be Blood, um, and Phantom Thread are my three favorites right now. I haven't seen all of them though. So yeah. All right, sixty-five for me is arguably one of the best sequels ever made. Now, Top Gun Maverick. Really enjoy this one. I think it's far superior to the original. Maverick is back after 30 years, and the secret mission leads him to reunite with Goose's son, played by Miles Teller, and they must get along and complete the mission. But it's really the way that the film is shot. Real planes, real Gs, as Tom Cruise says at the beginning of the film in theaters because he had a weird message where he came on the screen and was like, thank you for being here. These are real Gs, real speed. And, and I saw this video advertisement like six times because I saw the movie so many times. But anyways, I was just disappointed it wasn't on the disc because I was like, where is Tom at? He's got to tell us. <laughs> he has to tell us about the real G's. But it didn't happen. Anyway, great film. And I don't know if they'll ever make a film like this because they got access to so many different aircraft and the six IMAX character cameras in the aircraft and you just you feel like you're flying. It's insane. Oh yeah. I haven't plus, even seen the movie. I just love your Tom Cruise. Spielberg said to, to Tom during the Oscar season that like, you saved Hollywood with this movie. So I mean there's that too, I guess. It's just yeah. This movie has made people say weird things. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Number 64. Is a comedy classic starring Bill Murray. Stripes. Great film. Love this movie. Um, kind of underrated, you know, when you think of 80s comedies. I mean, I don't hear a lot about it. John Candy steals every scene that he's in this in this film as Ox. Harold Ramis wrote the part of the script and he's also uh, Bill Murray's buddy. They decide that they're kind of losers. They want to join the military and they kind of come up with their own conventional way of leadership in the military. And uh, it's really about teaming together to overcome your obstacles. And uh, yeah, there's some great uh, comedy in this classic. Oh yeah. 63 is the sting. The second pairing, and unfortunately, the last pairing of Rob Redford and Paul Newman. I wish they had done one more film together, but we got what we got. And The Sting is awesome film. 
Uh, nice heist film. There's also a great turn in here from um, the guy from Jaws, Robert um, Robert Shaw. Robert Shaw. He's amazing in this too, and he's the guy they're trying to to uh, con over. And I don't want to spoil too much, but there's a, it's a great twist. It's it's yeah it's been remade several times and referenced to anyway in other movies and TVs and even a video game I played Uncharted Two had a reference to the Sting. So. Oh really? Yeah. <laughs> um, 62. Another classic for me. A really slice of life film called Diner. Cast is loaded. Steve Gutenberg, Mickey Rorick, Daniel Stern, Kevin Bacon are in this. And there's, there's youngsters starting out in 1950s uh, Baltimore. One of them's getting married and puts his uh, fiance to a football test. And you know, they kind of value things that are obscene, like football scores and stuff over love. But I mean, eventually they, they figure it out. But it's just, there's some insane uh, commentary here. And it's just, I think it's, it's just one of those movies I put on and I feel good about. Yeah. And let's see. Oh, 61. Another classic, uh, in my opinion, The Apartment. Billy Wilder's uh, department starring Jack Lemmon, Trey McLean, and Fred McMurray. Great New Year's Eve film. And you could say Christmas too, but I think it's definitely a New Year's Eve film. And just a charming uh, picture that I think really holds up. And I just really adore this, uh, this movie. Oh, yeah. All right, buddy. Back to you. All right. <laughs> I'm not your buddy, guy. <laughs> no, I am. So, um, my number sixty is Rosemary's Baby, 1968, Roman Polanski's first American movie adapts the novel by Ira Levine. Uh, Rosemary falls prey to a group of witches that sell her unborn baby to Satan. Haunting tension and paranoia. A disturbing final scene. Unforgettable. Yeah, and that edition is out of print, guys. So don't stock Tom or anything. Yeah, no, I um, kind of a shame because uh, I, I like the essays in here are really good, and I I love Criterion. Um, so, and it's not even that they're like getting rid of Polanski films because they have a ton of Polanski films. Yeah. <laughs> Um, like I could, I kind of would have understood that, but it's it's not even that. Maybe um, they're gonna re-release -re it on 4K down the line, or something. You know, and if they do that, then I I'm I'm down for that. Um, number fifty nine is Daniel isn't real, an underrated horror film about a boy who locks a demon uh, named Daniel attached to him in a childhood dollhouse and is convinced by his therapist to let him out when he is a young adult. Dark, disturbing, very well done. Kind of hard to get a hold of in the states. This one is um, a Region B Blu-ray, uh, so I have a Region Free player, which is the only way I can play this. You can get this on DVD in the United States, but uh, if you want the Blu-ray, uh, good luck. <laughs> region Free player. Yeah. Um, number fifty-eight is the Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou. Uh, Bill Murray is on a revenge quest against a fish. Wes Anderson's, <laughs> Wes Anderson's whimsy is on full display here. So good, so cute and adorable, and still manages some surprising feels. 
number 67 or no is it is 57 yeah sorry i have so many crossed out on this okay. entry that i was confused number 57 house of a thousand corpses by rob zombie rob zombie's debut feature is a little slice of hell basically a more extreme version of the texas chainsaw massacre this film is a savage nightmare of unrelenting of unnerving horrific tableaus yeah I love this movie. Uh, number 56 is Gosford's Park. Robert Altman's country house murder mystery from a script by Downton Abbey creator jo Julian Fellows. An ensemble cast of upstairs, downstairs drama and a murder, a great British period drama. I really love this movie. Maggie Smith is basically playing her Downton Abbey character before Downton Abbey. Uh, it's great. Uh, wow. I love that Stephen Fry comes in to solve as, as like the detective who would normally solve the mystery and just doesn't because he's incompetent. Um, <laughs> really fun. That was sweet. All right. You have me at Maggie Smith. All right. Uh, <laughs> number 60. First Blood. Uh Sylvester Stallone's second franchise. This is the one that started it all with Rambo. And it's really, it's probably the best entry of, this, of the franchise. I really enjoy this one. And the nice commentary on uh, soldiers coming back from Vietnam. Just a great classic. 59 is Forgetting Sarah Marshall. Starring Jason Siegel. He wants to forget his ex-girlfriend named Sarah Marshall, but it turns out they're on the same uh, island. And uh, hilarity ensues, as you might guess, for, for others, not really for him. But uh, yeah, yeah, it's a really enjoyable film. I, they, it's just the way that they start out the film is, is ballsy. And I tried to really go there with my own film, um, and they show Jason Siegel naked being told that he's being dumped by Sarah Marshall. And it's just, it's a unique breakup uh, scene. What I found out later and listening to Jason Siegel talk about it is based on a true breakup. Like he got broken up um, in that vulnerable position. So I think, you know, it's, it's just great. I just really enjoy the vampire opera. There's mm -hmm. just so many, so much fun. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> number 58. It's getting kind of hard to believe things are going to get better. All right. Let's move on. <laughs> I, was I was trying to do the vampire I opera. No, I got All right. it. All right. I was going to mention it if you didn't. So Die. Okay. 58. <laughs> the Fugitive. Harrison Ford. Um, and Tommy Lee Jones doesn't care, um, but it's a <laughs> great thriller. Uh, this guy's set up, Harrison Ford set up for a, a crime he didn't commit, and he's on the run. Tommy Lee Jones is track him down, and uh, yeah, it's just a great film. Really looking forward to always watching this one, and, and it's shot in Chicago, I believe. All right, 57, All That Jazz. Roy Scheider gives one of his best performances ever as a creative who's all-consumed by getting a 
play done and a movie done at the same time, which is an impossible task. Based on uh, Bob Fosse's real life, he's such an asshole to his family that uh, he ends up dying because of the creative process. But this, this movie is just a fantastic musical that I really enjoy. I just thought it was really, really surprised me about this movie is just how dark it is and, and how just, I don't know. I was just, I was just wasn't expecting that. I was expecting like Chicago. Yeah. Um, my next one's 56 and that is true romance. Directed by Tony Scott and a script by Quentin Tarantino. Christian Slater plays the uh, comic book shop worker who falls in love for a woman at the theater to turn out that she is, in fact, a prostitute in this uh, fantasy. He also has like pep talks from Elvis and Christopher Walken is the uh, gangster who... Uh, takes over after Gary Oldman's character is offed and uh, there's a fantastic, many fantastic scenes in this. And I just, I just really uh, get more out of it every time I watch it. It's just kind of a, it's just an interesting um, dynamic between Walken and, and Dennis Hopper. That scene is, is uh, crazy. And um, yeah, I just love the performances here. And the still book is pretty cool too. Yeah. All right, man. Next, next uh, five for you. Your last five. Yeah. And what a, what a five they are. What a five. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, my number fifty-five is a twofer. It is. The Mummy 1999 and The Mummy Returns. Stephen Sommers brings late 90s, early 2000s CGI and camp to these action-adventure classics starring Brendan Fraser and Rachel Wise, who have wonderful chemistry that anchors the films, very fun films, well-done movies. And yeah, the, some of the CGI has not aged particularly well, but uh, I don't care. They're still fun. Would you want to see another one? Just the, the Fraser Renaissance? Um, only if Steven Sommers does it, only if Rachel Weiss comes back, only if they have another story to tell. Yeah. Um, the thing is, is the way that the memory turns ends, I don't think it makes sense to bring back Arnold Voslo's mummy, Emotep. Um, but when they tried to change it to China, it did not work for a number of reasons, mostly writing. Um, that was a terrible script. Like that, that, that honestly shot in the foot. They didn't bring back Steven Sommers to make it. Um, and, um, it just didn't, mm -hmm. didn't work. Ra Rachel Wise probably read the script and was like, yeah, no, I'm not doing that. <laughs> Which is why she's not by. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, like if they want to, um, if the, if the three cast members, mm -hmm. Steven Sommers, like, you know, if they want to. Go for it. If they don't have another story to tell, then just leave don't. it. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Uh, number 54 is The Witch, 2016. Uh, Robert Eggers' debut feature brings Puritan terrors to the screen. Anya Taylor-Joy stars as a young girl who eventually becomes the titular witch, creepy full of slow shivers and a demonic goat. Still gives me chills. I, I love the 
Like it's a essentially a family drama that just gets <laughs> really dark. <laughs> okay. Um, number 53 is Barry Lyndon. Stanley Kubrick's period epic follows an Irish peasant as he lies, cheats, and marries his way to the aristocracy during the Seven Years' War. Dark and subtly funny, framed by a pair of duels and shot using cameras designed for NASA so they could capture candlelight. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It was a really good movie. We just rewatched it uh, around St. Patrick's Day because he's Irish. So I realized we were kind of cheating on that one. but. <laughs> Ryan O'Neill's Irish, is that what you mean? No, um, Barry Lyndon's character is Irish. Oh. Um, Edgar Wright tackles Giallo with uh, Thomas and McKenzie as a young fashion designer who encounters the ghost of um, Sandy. Yeah, Sandy, played by Anya Taro Joy and Diana Riggs' apartment. A wonderfully stylish murder mystery with a killer soundtrack. It's true. And number 51 is Braveheart. Uh, Mel Gibson directs and stars the Scottish freedom fighter William Wallace in this bloody medieval revenge epic. I love how it's shot. Uh, I love the score. Um, Mel Gibson isn't that distracting uh, with his accent. Um, and it's just a really good movie. Yeah, it's pretty epic. Yeah. So, yeah, that was... All right. Awesome finish. Yeah. Number 55 for me is When Harry Met Sally. This is a romantic comedy classic directed by Rob Reiner. And it asks the question Can guys and girls be friends? So they basically, these two hate each other to start out. <laughs> and then the, the time goes on, they, they learn to tolerate each other. And it's really. It has a unique style to it. They actually had interviews of real couples and how they've stayed together for so long. Then it goes back to their to Harry and Sally's story. So it's kind of a uh, template for the uh, modern romantic classic. The next one is 54. William Friedkin's Sorcerer. This is a amazing survival story. Basically five of the worst people, criminals in the world, make a deal to go to this one location and transport C4 explosive into a truck and move it across uh, away from an oil refinery before it blows. <laughs> now, sounds very simple, but the way that freaking does it is what appears to be all practical on location in the rain in the mud and it's, it becomes a survival epic where the five men are not only trying to escort this but fend off natives and they're also fending for their lives due to natural uh current the weather so it's just it's an insane film where several times left me breathless where i was just like are they going to stay on the bridge? What the heck is going on? Like, it's just, I don't know. It's just, it's one of those movies that is just not really heavy on the plot, but it's full on survival. Yeah. 53. 
epic classic, uh, Back to the Future. You know, Jay Fox, just the, the original. It was the, by far the best one. And I just really enjoy this one. Maybe want to get a skateboard. Next one, 52, Defending Your Life. Albert Brooks writes and directs this one where he dies and goes to sort of this limbo area in the afterlife where he's put on trial to defend his life and should he continue on to the afterlife or should he be sent back, basically reincarnation, back for another try. Which is a clever idea for a comedy and I I think there's really some nice stuff that says in this film and he meets Meryl Street, who's another person in the afterlife and she's a far superior person than L.R. Brooks's character and it's comedy in that. And also you can eat whatever you want in the afterlife, which I like that and not gain weight. So it's always nice. <laughs> and lastly, 51, another amazing uh, romantic film. Love and basketball. Just a, touching film where these childhood friends grow up and have aspirations of making it to the pros in basketball where it's just Gina uh, yeah Gina Prince Blythewood directs and she just does an amazing job she recently did the the woman king which I enjoyed but this was her first film Omar Epps is amazing in it too and it's just it, it's it's broken up into four quarters like a basketball game so four acts and which is a clever way to do it and it leads us down to this epic one-on-one -on -one battle between uh shoot i forgot her name but uh sonal latham and, and omar epps they're two characters they have to go one-on-one -on -one for each for uh, a certain thing to happen and it's just amazing setup and i just think uh an amazing movie left me smiling okay. That's all we have today for uh, Top 250 for Episode 8. Yeah. So hope you guys enjoyed. And, and we'll then get the other... Top 250 next week. Top 50. We're heading into the Top 50. Yeah. And I have to tell you that number 50 for me is considered one of the best movies of all time. So we shall see. Oh, yeah. But yeah, that. Uh, thanks guys for, for watching and uh, leave the comments in the comment section as always and uh thanks tom again for being here yeah of course catch you next time peace out peace out for more return of the disc visit return of the disc.com check out the audio version of today's show available on all major podcast platforms and be sure to subscribe to the youtube channel